Jeff, this has been your worst podcast ever. You've had terrible no, points of view, no, and no, you ruin no. this segment. No, you've had bad takes, and I'm just trying to be honest with the audience, and somehow I'm the villain. Somehow I'm the menace here. Welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast, presented as always by the GMC Sierra, Merrick Friedman and Dom Shramati along with you. Uh, the very latest on the big story that we are following uh, on Sunday, Alex Formanton, uh, who was on the 2018 World Junior Squad for Team Canada, surrendered himself to London police. Uh, his attorneys saying, quote, Alex will vigorously defend his innocence and ask that people not rush to judgment without hearing all the evidence. And if you saw and heard Elliot on the weekend on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday, this is the beginning of what is going to be a very long process. We will very much stay on top of the story here on the podcast and elsewhere on all of our properties at Sportsnet. Elliot, a few things um, I want to go over with you from the weekend. And, you know, Hockey Night in Canada always bears a lot of fruit. Uh, players get up for Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, there are big performances. And at times there are controversial performances and controversial calls and great fodder for roundtable debate, uh, as we saw once again this weekend on Hockey Night. A couple of things to go over here, starting with the Tyler Bertuzzi non-goal. That shot deflected loose in front, and Bertuzzi scores! Oh, with a Leafs are celebrating, and it's being waved off by referee Cody Beach. Goalie interference is the reason, and I think a lot of people are scratching their heads over this one. Um, what I find really strange is normally when coaches call for video review, they don't miss anymore. Like it's almost an automatic when coaches call for video. I mean, yep. video departments in the NHL are so finely tuned and it really is a tip of the cap to them. But this is one that Sheldon Keefe lost. And I think a lot of people are wondering why. I honestly think that they should put out a video about this. Nor when there are suspensions and we're going to get to the suspensions in a few minutes, they always put out a video explaining their reasoning. This is a case where I think the NHL, because as a broadcaster, I'm expected to explain what the call is right now. Yep. Regularly, I'm not on in the first intermission on Saturday nights. The viewers have spoken. We need Elliot on one less <laughs> intermission on Saturdays. And also, as you know, Jeff, because you've seen me, I'm usually on the phone and I'm not paying attention. So I really wasn't paying attention in real time when this happened. And but the the text started coming in immediately, like what the heck? And especially since the two Leaf video coaches uh, have been really good this year. They've got a great record and yeah. they have recently saved a couple of games for them. So people were really surprised they got it wrong. Initially, when I saw it in slow motion, I could see an argument where you could say Nylander did not get out of the way as quickly as he could have. But when I watched it at real speed, I said, I, I don't even know how you can argue that. And if you go back to Edmonton over Columbus, the 3-1 goal earlier in the week, the king of disallowed scores, Zach Hyman, is clearly <laughs> knocked into Merzlikens by Eric Branson. And that was a goal. The, the, the official right there was right in perfect spot. And he said, that's a goal. He was cross-checked in and it stood. Now, that was, I thought, was a much more forceful cross-check. You know, Branson is a little bit stronger than DeMello 
Gallo, I guess. And that was an obvious call. But the more I looked at that Toronto Winnipeg one, I had no idea how that wasn't a goal. So I really and, and I'll say this. I usually go by how many text messages I get or who text messages me. Is it one of the regular complainers like PJ (laughs) Stock? He's always complaining about everything. Um, But uh, or is it like a different group of people? And it was a different group of people. And I really thought by the time the night was over and I and even on Sunday when I had a bit more of an opportunity to look at some of it, people expect us to try to explain things to them. They don't often like what we have to say and we'll get there in a second about one specific incident but they are expecting us to try to explain things to them and i do see that as my role whether people like it or not this is what the league is thinking as i watched that one i was like i I don't know i don't see it and i actually do think they should prepare a video And put it out there and say, this in this particular case is what we were thinking, because from now on, for the rest of this year, that goal is going to be used as something that didn't count. And what I also will have no doubt is that if they haven't done it already, they've sent that goal to a bunch of GMs and said, what do you guys think? So I think maybe what they do is they wait until all the results come back from this informal straw poll they're taking. But I absolutely think they should put out a video and say, this is why we didn't count this goal. Because watching it with one eye, I kind of was like, eh, maybe Nylander didn't get out of the way. But then when I really looked at it, I was like, no, 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 that's that's a goal. And as you know, Jeff, too, I also believe there should be a really high standard of taking goals off the board. We want goals in this league, and we should try to make them count. That's a really interesting idea, um, treating controversial calls on the ice, much like the DOPS does videos for suspensions. And you know what? I even think they should extend that to all controversial calls or ones that have, like, not ones that are, you know, completely, you know, Homer in nature. Like, there's going to be some calls where it's like, Every New Jersey Devils fan thinks that's a penalty. Every Philadelphia Flyers fan is convinced that is not a penalty. And it's sort of divided down fans' loyalty lines. But I mean, for things like this one, where you don't have to be a Winnipeg Jets fan or a Toronto Maple Leafs fan to be really interested in the reasoning behind all of this one. I like that idea. And I would <laughs> I would like to subscribe to your newsletter, Elliot, and add this. Um, they should do it for all the big controversial calls. We understand that the, the NHL uh, Officials Association um, does not make themselves available after games, and that's a battle and a conversation we can have at a, at a later date. But perhaps as a compromise or as a way to bring the temperature down or as a way to explain certain calls to people so there's a greater understanding of how the league works so people aren't just guessing, maybe you do that with all the big controversial calls, Elliot. What do you think of that? I don't mind it. I think the more transparency, the more you can explain yourself, the better. And also the more people will give you the benefit of the doubt. We've talked about this on this podcast before, that the fact that the NHL is the one league that doesn't make their officials uh, available in any way, shape or form hurts them Mm -hmm. because people won't. 
uh, give you the benefit of the doubt because you won't explain yourself. And in some of the other leagues, even if they hate the call, they'll at least say, all right, at least they explain themselves. And the NBA sends out what's called a last two minute report every day, right? Where they Mm -hmm. go over the late calls. And that's not going to stop people from bitching at the officials. Like that's a tale as old as time. It's never going to end. But you know, like I said, they'll always say, ah, okay, well, at least we know. Um, you know, I get rugby fans who send me, and I love rugby. I, I really love watching rugby on TV. They send me uh, the clips all the time that in, in that sport, you can actually hear the conversations happening. They do it live. Oh, and so good. That's so good. I, yeah. I, like, I don't think hockey's <laughs> ready for that yet as much as I think it's a great idea. Come but on. I, I, but I know. I, look, I'm all for it. I just, I just know small victories, Jeff, small okay. victories. We used to I do just, it with the CHL package on Sportsnet, Elliot, as you'll recall, and it was glorious. Didn't last very and they long. T- we used to and do look it. what happened. They took it away from us. Took it away. Because we kept on showing Showing those things. I would just love to see them put out the video and say, here's what we were thinking, just like Department of Player Safety. Because right now, that goal is, is now a standard for the rest of the year. And I can see people watching that and saying, this is, this is not going to be good for where we're going. Okay, also in that game, and I was of one mind initially, Uh, until I sent the text and now I kind of feel differently about it. So this is, this is John Tavares, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, the Maple Leafs are on a power play. Okay. So it's a five on four. He's standing in front of Connor Hellebuck and his stick gets slashed by Dylan Sandberg. Now the stick doesn't break, but what he does is he leans on it in order to show the official who's standing in the corner that my stick has been compromised, I can't play with it, and look, it's so flimsy, I can break it, snap, just like this. Now, at that point- there Yeah, I hated the, that call. At, at the official, okay, hold on. Hate, I hate it. Okay. Hate. Hang on, hang on. No, I'm just gonna repeat the word hate for 62 <laughs> more minutes. Okay, thanks ladies and gentlemen, our next podcast drops Friday. <laughs> So I I with you, I looked at that and I said, whoa, 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 back it up. Like not a chance. Like I, I, I'm I'm with you. I hate, hate, hate 62 times over that call. And so I sent a clip and a text over to uh, our buddy, Dave Jackson, former NHL referee and said, you know, essentially what's going on here? And, you know, I half expected Jackson to text back. Oof, that's a blown call or oof, that's a bad one. And his point was interesting coming back. He said, wow, great situational refereeing. Dave said it was fine to read this, by the way. FYI. Wow, great situational refereeing. It would actually be funnier if he listened to the podcast horrified (laughs) and said he wasn't supposed to read that. Yeah, exactly. That would make it a lot better. I would not not do that. But yeah, yeah. Like we haven't had a temptation like that before. Um, Wow, great situational refereeing. It wasn't overly aggressive or near his hands and didn't knock it out of his hands. So ref says, play on. But once Tavares shows him that he was eliminated because he broke his stick, ref does the right thing. Now, hang on. Here's what gets interesting. I see that as very similar to a 50-50 trip that possibly is accidental, but results in the other team getting a scoring chance. Ref will hesitate to see if an advantage is gained before raising his arm. I like it. So looking at that and with this lens in, 
consider it a 50-50 play. And on initial slash, if it doesn't appear that Tavares has been taken out of the play with a broken stick, then you say, play on. But once Tavares shows that he has been eliminated from the play with what we now know as a broken stick, he makes the call as if it's a 50-50 trip. Do you like that explanation? I'm okay with the explanation. I just hate the way it's called. And you know what? To be honest, you know, I don't want to say the explanation sucks because I don't want Dave Jackson to refuse to text you because he's going to say, Elliot just rips my explanations on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm, I, I don't want you to lose a valuable aid, but I, I don't like it. I, yeah. To me, uh, the, the thing I don't like is, and I felt this way a long time, I don't think a slash should be considered a penalty if the stick breaks. And that's the only reason the Jets got a penalty there is because the stick broke. And that's what I hate. Some these sticks, they've come a long way, Jeff. They're a lot better made than they used to be. Mm -hmm. But they do have their weak points, right? And to me, you either slash a guy and get a penalty or you don't. And if you slash a guy's stick and you get it on the weak point and the stick breaks, that yeah. should not be the determining factor of whether if, or not it's a penalty. If you don't call, I, I've raised that one before, and here's what I've gotten back. If you don't make that call with the stick breaking upon slash, then mm -hmm. what do you think is going to happen every single penalty kill? Players are going to well, go around slashing then, each then, other's then, stick. Then say it's a slashing penalty. Fine. It's either a slashing penalty or it isn't. It shouldn't come down to if the stick breaks. That's all I'm saying. The the philosophy like, behind like to it, me, though, the, I, I know what the philosophy, the, the philosophy is. You behind explained it. Is, it. You, you've eliminated a player from the play. And that's a player that doesn't have the puck. Like at that moment, John Tavares doesn't have the puck. And by slashing and breaking his stick, you've taken him out of that play. Well, to me, but the thing is, it shouldn't, it shouldn't come down to that to me. It's either you slashed him or you didn't. And it shouldn't come down to the weakness on the stick. All it is is evidence that an infraction has occurred. You know what it's like? It's like drawing blood on a high you don't, stick. You don't think hang that on. you saw the referees. No, no, no. You hang on. You don't right. think that the referee saw the slash before he knew he slashed him. Yes, yes, and he's to to Dave Jackson's point, and I'm I'm pretty warm on this. It's a 50-50 call because if it doesn't force the stick out of his hands, and if it doesn't break automatically, but it's compromised the stick, the official may not know that Tavares has been taken out of the play. No, I, I but I disagree with this reasoning. Maybe that's the reasoning. Like you're you're in the you're in the hot sauna on this. I'm in the cold tub, which I have yet to do, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't buy this. Like, yeah. Tavares is a smart guy. Like, don't you think it's kind of ridiculous that, like, I'm watching that play because I'm done. I've done my hit, so I'm, I'm watching the third period, actually paying yeah. attention to a game for a change. Don't you think it's ridiculous that the, that Winnipeg, like, either, either Winnipeg's going down two men because, and that was a huge play in the game. Either Winnipeg's going yeah. down two men because mm -hmm. he slashed them, but instead, he goes down two men because Tavares gets slashed. And he's like, oh, my God, I better prove it. And he starts, like, leaning on his stick. Don't you think the visual of that is is insane? 
That's why I said initially I didn't like the call. Also, Tavares is like 220 pounds, right? Like he's a strong he, guy. But he's what if not he gonna, was like he, what he, what if he was like Bobby Lalonde and he was five foot six <laughs> and he couldn't break the stick? Well, that oh, then it's no penalty. That would be no penalty. Well, what somewhere he's doing, Bobby Lalonde's going to say, even though I'm five foot six, I could rip Friedman in half. I don't still, like this. Can, can still kick your ass. <laughs> yeah, um, right. He probably could, but like, but don't you think the visual is that like, like is that what we want? Is hang on like, a I've here. seen it before. Is hold on. Is that what we want? Like in the playoffs, big game slash. Yeah. Okay, and Nathan McKinnon starts leaning on his stick to snap how, it, so he gets the penalty. How many times? Because I don't think a player is programmed to do that unless their oh, stick I, is actually compromised. You, you, how many times? Have, hang on, hang on, Friedman. Hold on. No, no, no. You hang on. Hang on. Park it for one second. <laughs> how many times have you seen a player do that, or was that the first time? No, I have seen that before. Anyone? Oh, who's you've seen that, like right, yes. right, right, right in front of the referee. Look, I'm gonna yes. snap my, I'm gonna snap my twig to try to yeah, draw you, another call. You're, you're telling me you've never seen a player do that before. I think players are hardwired to stay in the play, nah. and John Tavares at that moment is hardwired to stay in the play. And what happens is he gets a stick slash, and he knows right away the stick is compromised, and that's why he leans on it, and right away it snaps like a pencil. He's he John Tavares is smart. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And why don't we see this all the time? We used to see this happen all the time. No, we used to see this happen when back in like oh. Oh five, oh six. No, no. When, I've seen oh, you know what? You're right. That. Actually, it was oh three, oh four when composite sticks no. became more oh, of a I thing. Tell you, and, oh, and oh three, oh four is not more and, recent than oh five, and, oh six. And the integrity of the sticks isn't what they are now. Like stick technology has come a long. It has come a long way. It has come. A long it has way. come a long way. I agree with you on you that. You look back. I, like how I many times? How many times did you see like everybody? You have finally heard it. Friedman and Merrick come to blows. What has finally got? Broken to snap stick. <laughs> broken stick slashing penalties. You Everybody cannot used to tell me you've never seen guys do this before. I've seen players lean on it before, but this is to demonstrate that other teams should get another infraction on this. I think if, if, you've I think never if, seen it. But hang do on. you watch what, hockey? What, what, what do you do? You watch hockey? How many times have you seen a player get a stick slash and the, their first concern is just staying in the game? It's not to, to moan for a penalty and turn to the official oh. and snap their stick. Like if we saw guys John didn't Tavares moan do. for penalties, there wouldn't be an embellishment call. Not with sticks, Elliot. No, I, I, I okay. We're not going to. So hang on, honest, hang on, but hang I on. disagree. So with hang you. on. So, so then, would you have given John Tavares a penalty for embellishment? I didn't even think of that, but I should have known better to bring it up for you because you would think of that. <laughs> would you have given John Tavares an embellishment call? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Call? Look I what he's say, doing. Instead he's of leaning, leaning on, on go the get stick. a new he's stick. He's trying to draw. He's trying I to draw John, a penalty. Oh, go this get a is new embellishment. Stick. He's embellishing how how broken his stick is. Elliot Friedman says Tavares deserved the penalty on that play. It shouldn't be Dylan Sandberg. Do I have the headline correct? well, Dom, I don't, that's, that's I did, the title I, of this podcast. I don't think I actually said that, but in the spirit of the f- <laughs> podcast, I would do the same thing to you. So I think it's pretty funny that you're saying that. Okay, let's um let, let, let's you move either on. slash him um, or you don't. It's a penalty uh, or it's not. Because you know what's going to happen. You know what Guys are going to start doing that now. 
Well, we'll see. Um, I, I am curious about that, but I mean, I've been wrong about patterns before. Like I'm the guy that thought, you remember when the, the, the puck over the glass rule finally started after the lockout of 0405? Previous to that, if a goalie threw it over the glass, that was the only way it was going to be an automatic penalty. I thought, like, honestly, I really did believe this. And we're coming off a situation where we've seen a couple of pucks uh, sizzle into the bench and, you know, Lindy Ruff and, and Nyquist as well. I thought that we were going to see a rash of players, specifically defensemen under pressure, throw the puck into the bench, knowing that it's essentially a way to throw the puck out of play without getting a penalty. But I was wrong about that. And I wonder if I'll be wrong about this one as well, thinking that a bunch of players are going to start doing this. The one thing that I did wonder about, and we saw this in junior hockey when uh, when everybody started to pick up composite sticks. I remember it was Greg Gilbert who was coaching Mississauga. Um, when they were called the Mississauga Ice Dogs. I remember Gilbert, when I went to one of the games, I was standing beside the bench. It was always oh, before a game. And I was I was in the hallway leading to the dressing room and there was a bunch of composite sticks and then a bunch of wooden sticks. And I remember asking Greg Gilbert, like, what gives with all the wooden sticks here? And he said, these are our penalty kill sticks. I said, what? He goes, yeah, these are my penalty kill sticks because we see so many sticks breaking right now if I'm killing a penalty and one of my guys has a stick break, we're done. So I send out all my penalty killers with wooden sticks. I thought that was, that's where, where the technology was back then. And he was right. Like how many times on a penalty kill? And you saw this in the NHL, did the sticks break? And all of a sudden a five on four is essentially a five on three. I just thought that was interesting. I thought we might see something like that in the NHL. Obviously it never happened. Jeff's predictions up in flames comma again dom rangers just talked about a slashing penalty for 20 minutes yeah it's really good uh, too oh don't worry. that guy loves <laughs> okay. I can do this all, all day long i love it i love it i love it i love it uh, welcome to my okay world. Now i'm dragging now before you into we, my deep water arguing about technology <laughs> before we move on we should talk <laughs> about the penalty late in vancouver columbus because i know the canucks fans were all over this so and someone had a cheshire you, cat's grin on the whole time <laughs> so Ian Cole and and uh, Tyler Myers go into the boards with uh, Sean Corrali. And initially, and Corrali goes down, and initially they call Ian Cole for a major, and they go review it. And they review it, and it becomes very clear as we're watching the replay, the offender here is not Ian Cole, it's Tyler Myers. And so they review it, and Myers is sitting on the bench, and they throw him out of the game. They change the player. And Myers has this look when they call him. Like he has no idea what is going on. And when we saw it, it was Kelly, Kevin, and I were looking at it. I don't know where Ron was. We could not stop laughing at the look on Myers' face. It was just so funny. <laughs> we were howling. So Myers gets kicked out and... I call over to the situation room and what I'm told is now you have to understand that there was a game earlier this year between Philadelphia and Nashville where Trennan hit someone into the boards from the flyers from behind. I think it was Morgan Frost, but I don't remember. And they called him for one penalty. And then after viewing it, they gave him another penalty and they ejected him from the game. I had never seen that before where they did a review and changed the penalty. 
And I wasn't working that night, so I didn't call, but I checked with the Predators and they didn't really have a big problem with it because it was an obvious penalty and the call, they got the call right. So I kind of just dropped it, but it was, I'd never seen a situation before where they called someone for a five minute major and they changed the penalty, even though it was the right call. I kind of just forgot about it. Well, I definitely never seen this before where they did the review and they changed the guy who got the penalty and it's not in the rule book. So I called the situation room. I said, look, I've, I've never seen this before. What are you guys thinking about here? And they go, just get the call. Right. I'm like, okay. And you have to understand the whole time while I'm talking to the Situation Room, this adds to the insanity of the whole moment. Bieksa is standing next to me yelling, when are you guys bringing in the robot referees? So he's not helping the situation. <laughs> he's just making the whole thing worse. I'm trying to talk Hang to on. the Situation while you're talk, like, While you're talking to someone, while you're, while you're talking to someone, he's screaming out instructions. For, yeah, he's like, for you, I'm like, get for, out of the room. I'm like, get out of this room. Like, just get out of here. I'm trying to, like, he, he's, he's, and he's, He's got that Bieksa bleep eating grin on his face. One of the robot referees coming. So oh, now so initially, the, and I think in that situation, you have to give Myers a major. Um, so initially they weren't sure um, our guys, Kelly and, and Kevin weren't sure it was actually a major for Myers. There was a debate as to whether or not he swung his elbow to injure or he was bracing himself to go back into the glass, right? Um, but anyway, they gave him a major and they threw him out. If Look, if you were going to give anybody a major there, it had to be Myers. It certainly wasn't Cole. And the answer was just get the call right. And, you know, our, our, our situation on Saturday night was a little bit screwed up because we had two late games, Calgary, Chicago, and we had... Uh, Vancouver Columbus the Vancouver Columbus game went really late and the Calgary Chicago game was where Scott and Eric Francis were based so they had the after hours guest uh, Chris Tanov and so we had to get off the air quick we did not have a quick debrief but Ron wanted me to put out there what the situation room had told me they said just get the call right and it couldn't have happened and I say this just poking fun at all of you just relax it couldn't have happened with a, a a more hornet's nest of a fan base than the Vancouver Canucks fans because <laughs> they were wound up at the penalty to begin with. And then when yeah. I had 15 seconds to give the explanation, I did that. Like one of my buddies who lived in Vancouver just goes, go check your Twitter just for a laugh. And they no, were don't. They were furious. But, <laughs> you know, like, look, I'll, I'll say this, like, it's, it's not in the rule book that you can do that, but like, so I get why everybody's looking at it weirdly, but at the end of the day, to me, it's, do you get the right call? Okay. So they got the right guy in the penalty Myers. You can definitely debate whether he got a, uh, whether it was a major, like I said, Kevin Kelly and I were like, it's tight between he's swinging himself around to defend himself and he's swinging himself around to elbow Corrali in the face. But at the end of the day, they got the right guy with the penalty. So we could live with all that. But you know, again, like it's just, it's new. It's different. We haven't seen it before. So there's going to be, and, and it's because you, it, it's like, it's like fantasy football. Like, I like Pierre Lebrun used to be the um, 
uh, commissioner in our fantasy football league. And he basically had to Elliot proof it because I was doing so many loophole moves that he had to, with conjunction of the other guys, like basically block everything I was trying to do. It's not in the rule book, but it's not technically against the rules either. At the end of the day, I'm like, make the right call. Give me the right call. That's the right call so I can live with it, but I'm not denying it's weird. It's different. I've <laughs> just never seen it before. Okay, sticking with what the What do climate, you think? Do you have a problem with them doing that? No, I don't. I, I don't. And, and you know me. Like, I like to be stickler. I mean, a lot of it, I just sort of do it half in jest. Like, you know, I'm a stickler for we have a goal versus we have a good goal. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, trust me, I, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, 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 I know what's up and I'm just having some fun. Um, but I will forever be indebted to referees who do say we have a goal. Thank you to all of you who use that correctly. Put my English oh degree my God, to work. They're all doing that because um, of you. But no, so anyway, I, that's what it was. I have, I, I have no problem with it. I, I have no problem with that. Just get the, at the end of it, just get the call right. Even if you make yeah. a mistake at first, it's okay. As long as you get it yeah. right. Get um, it right. You know, kind of, kind of listen, you, you know what it's like? It's like when you see a slash stick, if it doesn't break, you don't make the call. But when you see it's been compromised, you get the call right. You make you like we're are all such we found a common ground. Yeah. This is so beautiful. Now, now, sticking with the crime and punishment vibe here. Um, yeah. Brendan Gallagher. So we yeah. used a lot of oxygen on the radio talking about the Brendan Gallagher situation, the podcast as well, um, uh, and what he was going to get. It turns out to be a five-game suspension. The howls were for more. Like a lot of people, you know this, Sally, you people that you know, people that you talk to, people that I talk to and text and DM and all of it, like they're howls for double digits from a lot of different corners. It ends up at five. This is for the high hit on Adam Pellick. First of all, what did you think of the five games? And is there a story within the story? Or maybe conspiracy within the story. How about that on this one? Well, you know, first of all, we talked a little bit about this on your radio show on Friday, but I want to do it for the pod. Number one, the like, the one thing I want to say is this. Like, there are people saying, oh, George Perros played with Brandon Gallagher, so he's going easy on bah. him. Bah. That's stupid. And, and the reason it's stupid is because, go back to George Perros, Andrew Cogliano. Andrew Cogliano was going to break Doug Jarvis's consecutive game streak. He was going to break it before Keith Yandel and Phil Kessel did. He was going to do it. He was the guy. I didn't even think that Cogliano should have been suspended for the for what broke the streak. But George Peros did it, and it ended a friendship. Like those guys were roommates when uh, in Anaheim. They were very very close. And Peros ended it. So anybody who thinks he's giving the benefit of the doubt to Gallagher is because they used to be teammates is a thousand percent wrong and it's dumb. And so I just I have no time for that. So we did also talked about this on your show and and Larry Brooks alluded to it in his column in the New York Post on Sunday, his Slapshots column. And I do believe that this is it. And. Larry Brooks talked about how they they basically stick with precedent. And this year, there have been three appeals, okay? Now, one of them was the kind of appeal we see all the time, the one that goes to the independent arbitrator. And that's for anything that's six games or more. And that's David Perron. So David Perron, 
Um, he got suspended six games. He appealed it to Bettman. He lost. And now he's appealed it to the independent arbitrator. Like he, unless the independent arbitrator has invented some kind of new time travel device, Perron is not getting <laughs> his games back. Okay. Correct. But yes. he could get some money back. However, twice this year, we've seen something a little bit different, which is players under six games who do not get an in-person hearing have appealed, two of them, Rasmus Anderson of Calgary, who got four, and Charlie McAvoy of Boston, who got four. Now, when it's un- when it's five or less, there's no independent arbitrator. You just appeal to Bettman, and you almost always lose. Almost, it's very, very rare. The only one I can really remember that someone won was Jason Spezza. And that was actually a six-gamer. It went from six games down to four. The one that Spezza got for the wild brawl in that game with Winnipeg, which said to me that Bettman was worried that the arbitrator was going was gonna, to was gonna drop it. But for ones under six to go to an appeal... There's no independent arbitrator. So players have told me they have no chance of winning. They honestly think they have no chance of winning. But this year, two guys have tried it. And I heard uh, that that has made Peros even tighter on his decisions. Because what he's getting now is more appeals than he's ever seen. So he knows... Everything he does, he better make sure there's a great legal reason for it. When Gallagher did his play against the Islanders, the one thing in retrospect that was weird to me was that they didn't announce the hearing that night because I have seen many cases where uh, a player for an incident like that one, which is so obvious the hearing could get announced that night. Now that happened tends to happen a bit more in the playoffs, but it does happen. So the fact that it didn't get announced the next day said to me that not only was Perro sleeping on it, which he does sometimes, but they were really looking hard at what their options were and how how they thought it would stand on appeal. And I don't think it's necessarily right, but I do think that's the way it is. I like I think Gallagher should have gotten a, a tougher suspension. I think I'm like most people here, but I 100% believe that the two appeals mm-hmm. earlier in the year had them going through all their decisions and saying, what do we really think we can do here? And it said to me that because of whether it was the McAvoy hit or something else, they were worried if they went any more than five, they were going to lose an appeal. And like I said, I don't think I, I don't agree with it, but I do think that's the factor here. And I know a lot of you are going to listen to this and say that's ridiculous and that's fine. It's my job to explain. And that's what I think the explanation is. Excellent. Elsewhere around the NHL. First of all, yeah. I want to have a quick conversation about the Columbus Blue Jackets. And our first thoughts are with Patrick Laine. It was announced on Sunday. He's entered the Players Assistance Program. We all wish him the very best, as we do anyone who enters the uh, the assistance program. Um, 100%. David Juracek. Yeah. And the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, this is in the, uh, in the Athletic. This is Aaron Portsline's piece in his uh, Sunday Gathering column, which is always must read. Um, this is what Juracek told Portsline. 
who's playing in the American Hockey League now. Quote, I played good hockey in the NHL, Juracek told The Athletic Friday. I'm an NHL player right now. That's my opinion that I should be in the NHL right now. I see guys from the same draft like Nemec in New Jersey, Korczynski in Chicago. They get a chance on the power play. They play a ton of minutes in the NHL. Those are different teams, so different situations, but I can compare with them. I just want a chance to play like that. Boom. Jeff, before I get to him, Fantilli gets hurt Sunday night against Seattle. And when I saw the play and that he left the game, I was thinking, what's next? The locusts, the frogs, the boils, or the darkness? Columbus is in the middle of the plagues here, seeing Fantilli leave that game. Look, the Jurisic thing, that's that's a problem. That's a big problem. And, and one of the guys that you've been talking about this year has been Cole Perfetti. Now, Perfetti has had a difficult time uh, at, at different points throughout the year finding his ice time in the lineup. But he, A, he's a pro, and B, the Jets are winning. You can't be complaining as a young player when the team is doing well as well as that team has been doing. So, and they're committed to him, just like Columbus is to Jiracek, but they just have to, Perfetti just has to be in a situation where he kind of has to eat it. You, you can't rock the boat. You, you just have to play your way through it, and that's what he's doing. The difference in this particular case is, number one, Columbus is not winning, and number two, they promised him a spot in the NHL this year. They told him to find a place. And if you ask any team, they'll tell you that's a dicey thing because once you tell someone to find a place, it's understood, you know, he's going to stay. And, you know, Kekalainen has some fair quotes in the piece, and that is that, you know, we're trying to get him to play. There's still things he's got to learn. Um, I think everybody understands that. He's a 21-year-old defenseman, and... Columbus is trying to build an accountability culture where you have to earn your spot. Look at all the benching and moves that have been happened this year. But it's harder because this is such a huge part of your franchise future. He's obviously very disappointed and you're not winning games. So he's looking at it as um, I deserve to play based on what's happening here. And it's clear to me, based on what he's saying, that he's not 100% buying what they're selling. So the challenge is because he's so important to their future, they've got to make him buy in to what they're telling him. And it's clear right now that it's not working. So how are you going to solve that problem? How are you going to get him from A to B? Because he's important. In, in five years, when you're hoping you're in a very different place from where you are now, you think he's going to be a big part of that. And he should be. You know, the the one thing I think has been really interesting about this situation is who represents Jiracek? Is this someone who's active on Twitter? <laughs> it is. It's uh, it's it's Alan Walsh. And have you seen Alan Walsh angrily tweeting about it? No, not really. Walsh tweeted last week that Jiracek had a three assist game, but generally... 
he's left that alone, which said to me that the player doesn't really want anything out there because Walsh doesn't do anything unless the player is okay with it. So that's a good thing for Columbus. That's a really good thing for Columbus, but you have like, this guy is so important to your future there, especially in a tough year. You have to find a way to make sure that he buys into what you're selling. Cause right now he's not. We'll, we'll finish up with this one. And you know, this is another one of Jurchek's quotes that has certainly raised some eyebrows and concerned some people. This is commenting on the game that you were just talking about Saturday's game. Um, quote, it's been most of the month without hockey. So I will play after that. We'll see. Yeah. You must have had some experience with him uh, going into his draft. Yes. Yeah. What did you think? I like him. I like him a lot. Like not only is he a super high skilled player, I actually, I, I like him too. in the, the brief couple of encounters I had with him. Well, you know what? I'll say this. I am really impressed. The fact that he's the one here doing the talking, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, like to me, he's, like he comes across to me in this, and I don't know this kid at all. I'm just reading this article. He comes across to me in this article as a very mature kid. He's laying out his feelings. He doesn't sound like a whiner. He's explaining how he feels. He showed up to play. I got no problem with anything here. Basically, what he has done through Aaron Portsline, he has explained to the fans, this is what I'm thinking. And you know, I got I got no problem with this. I got no problem with it at all. It's 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 not screaming on the internet. It's here's how I feel, and this is what everyone needs to know about what I'm thinking. And he showed up to play. Like he came all the way back from Vancouver and he played. Like I got I got no problem with this. I, I think this kid is handling himself. For me, however, how many kilometers I am away from Columbus, it seems to me like he's handling it very maturely. I like players who, when you ask them a question, they give you an answer. Yeah. And that's your check. Yeah. Um, okay. I think we still have a lot of answers still, or we're looking for a lot of answers around the Los Angeles Kings. Whoa. How about St. Louis, by the way, getting back into the race? Uh, there is that part of Sunday's game. There's also the L.A. part. I want to pick up on St. Louis in a second. but I'm positive part, you're negative. No, man. I just want, like, people want the negativity at this point. Like, it's it's the end <laughs> of January here. People are feeling it. Let's, let's ride the negativity vibe here. St. Louis is in the playoffs by point percentage as we record this podcast. Remarkable, hey? You know, yep. the, the weird thing about it is, too... Um, I still wonder, like we all do, if Doug Armstrong looks at this team at trade deadline and says, yeah, we may be in a playoff spot or around it, but nah, I don't like it. I'm making moves. Um, oh, you, know, wonder- you know what's the worst thing that could happen for all these other NHL teams is that the Blues win the Stanley Cup this year again. Because <laughs> that would be two Stanley Cups yeah. where they looked like roadkill yeah. and they fired their coach and they won it. And instead of Jordan Bennett. Now yeah. everyone's going to be trying. We want you to stink for three months. Yeah. We're going to fire the coach. And then we're going to win the Stanley Cup. And in. You know what's. By the way. What, what sucked today for the Blues was. Perunovic got hurt. Because yes. that kid had started to look 
a lot better. Uh, he certainly did. And uh, if they go on this rip, like it's 218, 219, all of a sudden, if it's Joel Hofer playing the role of Jordan Bennington, and whether it's someone like Jake Neighbors uh, playing the role of Ryan O'Reilly, the intense hockey player who does not take any penalty minutes, Elliot. Um, it really is a remarkable thing how this guy stays out of the penalty box considering how hard he plays. I know, let's just do St. Louis then. St. Louis has crawled their way back into this thing. And are they getting good goaltending from both Bennington and Hofer? Absolutely. Um, I think a really underrated story is how good Matthew Kessel has been on the back end. Um, I think that, you know, Robert Thomas is, is having a really nice year. We all know the Jordan Cairo story, uh, so far this season, I keep coming back to, to Braden Shen on this team and what he's been able to do to, to claw this team back into the playoff conversation. What are your thoughts on St. Louis right now? Well, like I said, I, I, I've been really impressed by how they've, they've crawled back into it. Like, um, you know, you talked about some of the young players. We mentioned Perunovic. Like some of them have really started to play well. Um, you know who I think has been really good after starting the season, not great at times, Braden Shen. Yep. Um, you know, like Doug Armstrong, he had a lot of his players out on the market, and there was not a lot of interest. I think one of the guys that there would have been interest on was Buchnevich. And first of all, I love the canoe celebration. As a guy <laughs> who likes in the summer to go out yeah. on a lake in a canoe yeah. by himself at twilight and just peacefully paddle around, I really like the canoe celebration. I think he could trade Buchnevich pretty easily if he wanted to. Obviously, he hasn't wanted to. But, uh, you know, some of those guys have really started to go. Um, but, um, I, like, I, I, and I give them credit. They, they've, I did not think they were going to get into this race. I, I didn't. I just thought they were too meh. There wasn't enough there. But they've pulled themselves off the mat. And a lot of guys who weren't playing that well are, are playing better, much better. And it's gotten them in there. You know, like someone was saying to me the other day, if Canada was playing game one of the World Cup right now, or whatever they're going to call it next year. You know, if you were playing today, Jordan Bennington would be in the conversation to be your starter. Yes. Absolutely he would. Yeah. Um, I think you'd look at Mackenzie Blackwood. I, I, I wouldn't put Blackwood over Bennington. I'm not saying Blackwood over Bennington. Right now, your starter for Team Canada today is Jordan Bennington. Hands down. He's Can I give guy. you another option? Joel Hofer. No, I wasn't. he wasn't going to be my option. <laughs> oh, okay. Stuart Skinner. He's been excellent. There's no doubt, no doubt about it. But a couple of things have happened there in Edmonton with him. One, he has played much better. But two, like the high danger chances are way down, way down for Edmonton. Yeah. But he's mm -hmm. been really good. There's there's no denying it. So right now, um, it might be Bennington. A year from now, it might be Skinner. We'll see. Uh, okay, other end of the rink. Um, the Los Angeles Kings lose. We'll get to the Oilers in a sec. Blues. We'll yeah. get to the Oilers in a sec, yeah. Kings lose again to St. Louis on Sunday. This is after losing to Colorado on Friday. They've now lost 14 of 16, their last 16. Um, they were better against the St. Louis Blues. You know, I, I, I kind of expected more 
out of Los Angeles. I know it's Colorado, the beginning of the road trip. I understand all of it, but it's the next game after Drew Doughty calls everybody out. Yeah, well, that's, wonders about, uh, that's wonders about. I'm who's, right who's, with you on that. You can't. I don't care if it's Colorado. You can't Oof. be down three nothing after that first period. You, and you they cannot. come out and nothing, yeah. zero. Now yeah, they have one I'm more game on this. this road. One more game on this road trip, and that's against Nashville. And then I think the questions really begin. But where are you at as we record this on Sunday, January 28th, 5:25 Eastern? Where are you at on L.A.? You know how I felt about the coach, and that is that he stabilized the team and put them into the playoffs with a good structure system. And uh, and I think Rob Blake really recognized that. Um, and I still feel that way. I still feel that Rob Blake really likes Todd McClellan as a coach, but I almost wonder if we're getting into Woodcroft territory where you it, it's not fair, but you you have to do it. Um, you know, like you're going to have to do something there. Now, they're really hoping to get Arvidsson back and hope that changes everything. You know, the, the Kaliev thing is interesting. I, I do think they would move him now. And I, I and I think the um, it's, it's been made pretty clear behind the scenes there that Kaliev's time uh, to go somewhere else where he can have a bit more of a role has probably come. I do think the Kings would do it if they found... Um, you know, maybe like a, a depth player with some edge that they could replace him with. I do think LA would do that. You know, what's, you know, the other thing too is we talked in the last pod about Clark and Spence and, and, and putting them together or playing them both at the same time and England stays in. I had someone call me about that and they said, if you take England out of that LA defense, it's not very tough defense. Like they, they think the Kings could get pushed around back there. Like they, even though the guy's not a big producer, he does bring them uh, a, a bit of a physicality that they don't have without him. Like really, like someone said to me, if you take them, if you take him out of there, your most physical guy is probably Doughty and you don't need him running around. He's got enough to worry about. So I thought that was that was interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I really appreciated the perspective uh, that was brought to me about that. But I also felt like sooner or later, you got to try something different. I do think they're hoping that Arvidsson can make a difference. I think they're looking at a forward with some edge. The one thing here I'm really curious about is... Does Rob, this is my opinion. This is not what anyone is telling me. This is my opinion. Does Rob Blake go down here or the King's season go down here without him taking a big swing at a goalie? Like Cam Talbot did a really nice job for them. He's deserving to be in the all-star game. But does he take a big swing at a goalie? The problem is your dollar for dollar. Who goes out? Yeah, Kings are right up against it. Cause so Kings like say for right argument's sake, you go after Markstrom, right? Or you go after Oh, um, that's a huge deal. Like that's, that's six that's like so you've gotta take six million dollars out, right? Who are you taking out? And the only way the only way around that is Calgary retains, but then you're gonna have to pay more. Yeah, and it's a long That's retention. It. It's not a short it's one. Yeah, long retention. So that is yeah. a that is a really really 
That's a really but tough but the more I look at this, the more like like I was actually sitting there thinking of that, and I was talking about it with a couple of people. Um, that you know, like that's the thing here. It's dollar for dollar. Like like Edmonton, everything they do is dollar for dollar. And I'll tell you something right now. Like I, I like I don't even think they want to talk about moves right now. They they have won sixteen straight games. I cannot believe we've got to wait, uh, wait a week for this game in Vegas. I like this game in <laughs> Vegas. Number one, the Oilers Here. are going to be wa- wa- forget the fact that they're going to tie. They could tie the record. The Oilers hate the Golden Knights, and the Golden Knights hate the Oilers. Like you yeah. don't think that the the Golden Knights are going to be just as wired to play that game as the Oilers are? Totally. Totally. But but like well, you here, know, here's the thing because though. I'll tell here's you like the- someone was saying to me that a guy like Carrier might be from Nashville might be a perfect fit in Edmonton but Edmonton is the same way it's dollar in dollar out and they don't even want to hear about this stuff right now because they're going so well and like you know all of a sudden Campbell's playing putting up like a 920 save percentage in his last few games but like they're like like I think they're looking at things like this because there were some rumors that Campbell might get a call up, but you know, the, but I think the Oilers looking at it like why would we change anything right now? And two, Pickard's played well. Why would they even risk putting him on waivers? Um, so like like, like that's the like the, it's different between the Oilers and the Kings because the the Oilers look good and the Kings don't. But it's dollar in dollar out for both these teams. So what are you fooling around with? Here's the thing. A team like the Los Angeles Kings right now can't wait to get to this break. So yeah. the Los Angeles Kings have one more game. It's against Nashville. And you, you know, like to a person on that roster, they can't wait for this break. It can't yeah. come soon enough. There's going to be a lot of teams but, making some decisions here. Well, and yeah. And, and like LA I said is- on the air, I think Calgary is going to go to Hannafin and say, wherever you're lying on the beach, <laughs> Just think about are you are, are you staying or are you going? Like I think that's one of the things that they're going to talk about there. Well, I mean, you know what's happened here, and, and getting back to Edmonton, and you're right, like they're on the big pause. They don't play again until February the sixth, and you know tie the record if they beat Vegas, and they can beat the record against the Anaheim Ducks on the ninth. You know the way that they're playing, and by the way, I don't think for a second that they want this break right now. No, like the way that they're playing, you? like, can we just do something with the schedule? We'll take our break after once we lose a couple here and, and then we'll take our pause. But the way that it's going right now, I, I don't think Edmonton wants to break. Nonetheless, the authority of the schedule. Um, there are so many players that are buying Ken Holland a lot of decision time here. There is no need to rush into anything. And I think he looks at it that way. Like, and they, they they play. I know people are ripping them for their schedule. The bottom line is, if they were losing these games, people would say, "I can't believe you're losing to these terrible teams." So you can't have it both ways. But their schedule gets a lot tougher in February, so he's got time to watch how this goes. And the Holloway kid, if he's as good as he looks and he's mm-hmm. talented, he really changes their lineup. That solves a lot of problems. Um, yes. Speaking of problems, the Rangers have some problems. Yeah. Now, I know that was a very big comeback against the Ottawa Senators on Saturday, a disappointing one, certainly for the team in the nation's capital. Uh, bad news for Philip Hedl, someone that you're all always cheering for to, to get yeah, over shame. his injuries. Um, announced on Sunday, the Rangers putting it out that he will be uh, missed the remainder of the season with his upper body injury. Um, so from a hockey point of view, Elliot, we thought the Rangers or maybe you knew the Rangers were looking for one centerman. Are they now looking for 
two. Yeah, I think so. Uh, they were definitely looking for one because uh, they thought Hilo was coming back and they were definitely looking for one. And to me, that one was, you know, a, a depth center, um, somebody who, you know, had some experience or was having a good year. You know, I was I was looking up and down rosters and just some guys who had some playoff experience or were good depth players like I was going to spend a bit more time watching Tyler Johnson in Chicago, for example. Like, would he be a guy that would make any sense for Edmonton? I admit I haven't watched him a lot. Um, Adam Henrique, especially now that you might be looking for a guy that could play higher. Like Adam Henrique, for example, right now, like if I was the Rangers and I was the Devils, and I would find it very hard to believe the Devils in particular have not looked into Adam Henrique. And I think there's a lot of teams that have. Like you could plug Adam Henrique, Vancouver, Winnipeg, you know, Devils, Rangers. You could plug him into a lot of places and he would be a good fit. A guy with a really good rep around the league. Yes. Um, but but I, I do think the Rangers could be looking for two now. Now, Monaghan, um, I think it's really interesting. I think the Canadians are going to trade him. I do think the option would potentially be open for him to go back uh, next year. But I do think the Canadians are going to trade him. Um, you know, the Rangers, you know, the whole Jeff Gorton Rangers dynamic. Uh, you know, Jeff, let's just say they're not on each other's uh, Christmas card list. Let's just go with that. So that complicates the deal there. But that is well, the kind of player they're going to be looking for. Um, we maybe see I'll, that I'll in say Toronto this. and Calgary as well. Maybe Elliot, that's not uh, unique to know, the NHL. We've seen that before, right? But it, it it does mean maybe you have to pay a bit more of a price. Um, I will say this: mm. we touched a nerve with our debate on Friday about if Sean Monahan's uh, were, were going to get a first round pick. I think it always comes down to how much interest there is in the player. Um, Eric Engels and yep. his. Uh, uh, blue, white, and red pajamas thinks he's getting a first rounder for sure, but we'll you know we'll find out. We'll see. Well, here's the thing about the Rangers. Um, but the Rangers make a, a lot of rounder. sense for me for him for him. Yes, Rangers have a first rounder. Rangers have a second rounder. Elliot. Rangers have Stanley Cup aspirations. Uh, just yeah. put it out there. Just putting it out there. Now, Larry Brooks was getting a lot of love on this podcast, by the way. He had some tweets on Sunday where he basically talks about, like, for a Henrique or a Monaghan, does it make sense for the Rangers to give up a first and a prospect or one or the other uh, for this year on a rental for either of those kinds of players? And his argument was nothing has happened over the twenty past 25 games that says you should be doing that. Well, I mean, it's, in, it's very interesting because you know if it comes from him, it's it's an excellent pulse on what the Rangers are thinking. And no, you shouldn't be giving up a first and a prospect for either one of those guys. But depending on how much interest there is in them, and especially for Henrique, I think there's quite a bit, then yes, you might be moved to one of those two things. Here's the thing, though. I agree with that thinking if Shesterkin's not going to find his game. If he can't get back to the level that he that he that we know he's at, then you're not going to win the Stanley Cup or really even challenge for it. But if post-All-Star break, he starts to find himself, 
I think the pressure on the Rangers to do something is going to intensify, especially when you think, look at the history of this organization. They're not an organization that says, yeah, not our year. No, the last few years, it's been, we want to go for it. We want to get there. Again, if Shesterkin can't get back to his level, it's immaterial. But if over the next month, he gets hot again, I don't know how the Rangers are going to be able to say, yeah, we're not going to go all out, or maybe not all out, but we're not going to go out and really upgrade at the center position. So we've got some time here to figure it out. By the way, Chicago, since we mentioned Chicago, mm-hmm. yep, that's a team... If I was them, I'd be looking at Kuzmenko. It's funny, too, because I always think Kuzmenko, if they're going to move off of him in Vancouver, he's going to end up with the Islanders. I thought Nashville for a while, but Chicago, Mm -hmm. like they, they cannot score. And Chicago's in a situation now where they're signing guys as long as they don't last longer than two years. And he's got only one more year. Yeah. Like that, you know. But like they are, they're tough to watch without Bedard there. Um, they play hard. I'm not going to knock it. They they do play hard, but they they, you know, Markstrom was having a game on Saturday night. They could have given them 40 breakaways and they weren't going to score sure. on him. Um, yep. But you know, you got to entertain. You got to try to score some goals. Kuzmenko is a guy I'd be looking at if I was if I was the Blackhawks. And they've already done a deal for Beauvillier, right? So. Uh, it's it, you yeah. know th- th- those guys can deal with each other. You know, I mentioned with the Rangers a couple of seconds ago, a big win against the Ottawa Senators, tough one for them. We all know what Ottawa is going through. You had an interesting note uh, about the Senators and a certain defenseman in Calgary on Saturday. Well, you know, first of all, I would tell people to watch the after hours where like <laughs> they're they're asking like Chris. It was it was hilarious. <laughs> like I'm getting changed, and Bexa is dying watching after hours because they're asking him like how many teeth he can use to chew an apple and stuff like that. <laughs> like it's just, like I, I, some, I was I was waiting for Bexa, someone to like, ask was him having, if he was having an all time night. <laughs> oh my god! Can, but, is it but, true you can eat an apple through a fence or a tennis racket? Is that true, Chris Tanner? Oh my god. It was like, and he just sits there and he laughs. Like he's got such a good sense of humor, but, um, uh, but I should have thought of it earlier. Like when I heard it on Friday, I was, I was actually surprised that I, I said to myself, why didn't I think about this sooner? Uh, Sanders looking for good pros. He's a good pro. Um, he's a right-hand shot. They can use one. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think one of the issues was, you know, he's not. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. And I'll tell you this: Ottawa's goal is not to. They're, they're not thinking this is a long term thing, right? Like they 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 are going right for it again next year. Like they this is not a long rebuild. Next year, it's we're going to the playoffs. And I think what they want to do is they want to convince Chris Tanev that they have a future there as a playoff team and he could be a very big part of it. So I don't think that they are going to get him this year, but I don't think they've given up on the idea of getting him. So that's one to watch. And as I always say, I think I've said it 40 times this year, Toronto's looking at every defenseman in the league. Like That's what I just keep hearing. Like If there's a defenseman that they like, they're going to try to get him. 
The Chris Tanev tour through Canada could continue east. On that, we'll hit a break. Uh, that was a long A block. Uh, Montana's Thought Line coming up in moments. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Okay, time now for the Montana's Thought Line, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Canada's home for barbecue, Elliot. Try the ribs, which 32 thoughts. Dave oh. Maloney did. Oh, what's the update? So in case you did not listen to Friday's podcast, and if you didn't, shame on you. How 20 dare. lashes. How 20 dare. lashes. Um, the Rangers play at home on Friday night. On Saturday, when they got to Ottawa for their game against the Senators, there was a delivery for Uh-oh. the crew from oh, Montana's, boy. including the ribs. Dave Maloney writes, or texts, mm-hmm. try the ribs. Well, we did, and they were awesome. Thanks a ton, and that's what he wrote, and thanks to Montana's and Ryan Fabro of Sportsnet, who was the facilitator of this delivery. Oh, good job, So we Favreau. know the, the Devils broadcast team has tried yes. them this year, yeah. and now the Rangers broadcast team has tried them this year. The rest of you broadcasters, what's stopping you, you lazy bums? <laughs> I hope everybody with the Rangers countered their fingers afterwards to make sure that one wasn't chewed off in the process. I've seen people eat Montana's ribs before. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca is the email. one 3232 Let's start, Elliot, with a voicemail. This from the Klein family in Barhead, Alberta. We were wondering if Connor Brown is traded by the Edmonton Oilers this season. Is his $3.2 million bonus for playing 10 games this season prorated with the team that he is traded to or are the Edmonton Oilers on the hook for the full $3.2 million bonus that will occur on next year's cap. More importantly, we have our first Wednesday night off where we can finally go to Montana's to Oh my God. That's fantastic. That was was like the old hockey intro where where all the kids say your host, Ron McLean. I I wish that my son could be as well-trained as the Klein kids are. I I, I have to say that. I like that. Uh, The answer is no. Once the the bonus hits, the team that has done it um, has to pay it. And uh, there have been some of those cases, you know, for example, in Vancouver. You know, there were questions about, like, for example, if Tyler Myers got traded, could the bonus be shared or whatever? No, like he, he got it in Edmonton. So Edmonton has to carry it. You can't trade it uh, away. Excellent question. Uh, one, we're going to go but off But thank the board. you for the oh. beautifully coordinated message. I am that very, was- very impressed. Klein family, thank you very much. That was beautiful. Now, uh, one thing you have to know about this segment, Elliot. Um, technically, Griffin Porter curates all of these emails and Yes, voicemails. he does. All I really do is just sort of sift through them. Now, it has to come through either through You're the, the email sister. or the thought line. Yes, just like a, a circuit chef from The Point. Yes. As told to me by uh, Warren Reichel. Ah, he's got a sifter. The sifter just kind of sifts it through The Point. Um, if you are a University of Guelph alum, you go to the front of the line. Well, this one I got. The, the unemployment episode. line? 
No, the Montana Thought Line. Oh, oh, excuse me. I thought you were talking about the unemployment line. This one from Lyndon Lemoyer, okay, who is U of G alum living and working in Dublin. A lot of late nights watching the Leafs. So here's what he submits. He just sent me this on, on Instagram. Uh, hey, Jeff, big listener of the pod. I know over the last few weeks of conversations of most Hall of Famers in a game and will a goalie ever reach a 1,000 games played after Fleury made me think. Obviously, with Lars Eller playing a 1,000 games last night, congratulations, by the way, to Lars Eller. I've I've always loved this guy. I think you have as well. Um, great, you know, middle, uh, you know, middle center. Uh, if you, if you have someone like Lars Eller as your third line center, you're doing fine. Uh, for playing a thousand games last night with the Pens, he's on a team with Sidney Crosby, Yevgeny Malkin, Jeff Carter, and Chris Letang, and assuming a healthy season, inevitably Eric Carlson. So all these players have played a thousand games for the Penguins, right? So it's Eller, Crosby, Malkin, Carter, Letang, and soon Eric Carlson. His question is though, which team has had the most active skaters at once with over 1,000 games played? I asked you this off air. What what is wrong with you? We could have faked it on air. I would have done it honestly the same way I did it off air. (laughs) Oh, okay. We do that. Well, as as I've always said, the key to life is sincerity. Once you learn how to fake that, you got it made. Um, Jeff, this has been your worst podcast ever. You've had terrible points of view and you ruined this segment. No, you've had bad takes, and I'm just trying to be honest with the audience. And somehow I'm the villain. Somehow I'm the menace here. Um, oh. The o three o four Maple Leafs, and I'm gonna. Well, I guess the Red Wings, by the way, that that 2002 Stanley Cup champion. I w- I was wrong, but you told me it was this Leaf team, and then we guessed, so, and I guessed everybody but one guy. Yeah, I was impressed. So this is a question. I sent this note to Steve Fallon, Sportsnet Stats, the great Steve Fallon. Like, can yeah. you give me a hand on this one here, Steve? And so this is what Steve came back with. It is the 0304 Maple Leafs where there are seven players. And, at that and this point is not players who played a thousand, seven at no. the time, right? Seven at the time. You nailed all of them. Except no, I, I missed one. Except for the seventh yeah. one. Hang on. Except for the seventh one. So, so I got are, I got Sundin. Want to go for it? Hold on. Yep. Yeah. Like, like, yep. like the ones I got, I got Sundin. I yep. got Newendike. Yep. I got Roberts. Yep. I got. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I got Tom Fitzgerald. That I, I thought got, you might have a hard time with, but good job. No, because he was there all year. I remembered that. I know. I, I got Ron Francis, yep. who was acquired late. I got Brian Leach, who was acquired late. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Owen Nolan did not have a thousand games. Robert Reichel did not have a thousand games. And uh, although Reichel never got there. So Alexander McGilney did not have a thousand games, but I missed one guy. Now, yep. This is what I want to do here, Jeff. And like, I have to tell you, you could have had me guess until 2070 when I would be a hundred <laughs> years old. And I don't think I was getting this guy. So okay. this is what we're going to do. We're going to give everybody a chance while we finish this segment to think if they can figure out who the missing guy is. No cheating. No oh. looking it up on the phone. No yeah, looking yeah, yeah. it up on the Internet. Can you remember how many more how many more letters or voicemails do we have? 
uh, we got we we got a lot, but we'll probably do we'll, we'll probably do three more. And and by the okay, way, so let, people do yeah. have the internet. People do have the internet. They will. It is what has killed trivia contests on sports talk radio. The presence of the internet. And they, okay, people, they will we're trusting you. We're going to do three more questions, okay. and then we're going to come back to who was the missing guy. Okay, so we'll come back to the uh, to the missing link a little bit later on from the 0304 team that had seven players at a thousand games. Uh, Cal in Vermont, here's one. Elliot, can Love a Vermont. player be traded while suspended? Uh, beautiful. Can a player be traded while suspended? Like if a guy is in the middle of a five game suspension during deadline day, can they still get yes. traded? Or is there some language blocking them for some reason? No, you can you can be traded. That's that's there's no like. Like if there's a behavioral suspension or something, that's different, but you can be traded for like, if it's like a slashing suspension or something like that. Yes. A hundred percent. No problem there. Okay. Justin in Newfoundland submits this one. Hey guys, in Tuesday's game between Montreal and Ottawa, a large number of scouts were in attendance despite their log jam at left D the Habs scratched Jordan Harris. With trade season looming sooner than later, I hope, we begin to see tweets from the media that mentions the scouts in attendance at particular games. It got me thinking, is this list made public beforehand? Are general managers of the teams involved in the game aware of who will be scouting that particular night, wondering if and how it could affect lineup decisions, healthy scratches, promotions to top lines, and top power plays? Thanks, Justin from Newfoundland. Well, all a, all a scout, if you have like a scout's pass or you're a credentialed scout from a team, um, you can... You know, you can let just let a team know that you're going to be there and they'll put you in and, and give you a seat that changes during the playoffs. There are different rules for the playoffs um, because there tends to be more uh, demand and you don't necessarily um, you, you don't necessarily have room left for you. There are more stringent policies. But generally during the year, if you say, hey, I, I represent the Detroit Red Wings and I want to come watch this game between Vegas and Toronto, they'll make room for you. Um, you know, I think the, the one thing that everyone should be uh, aware of is like on nights where there's only two or three games, you'll get 25 people there. Um, because they'll say, oh, there's, there's, and also like, for example, if, you know, sometimes a team plays on a Friday and say the AHL team within driving distance or an AHL team within driving distance or two are around there. You know, if you're doing an AHL game on Thursday and, and Saturday, you'll go to the nearest NHL game on Friday. So like a lot of these things come down to what's the schedule. You always look to see one of the keys is, and I, I'm probably, you know, giving away some stuff here that's obvious and some stuff I probably shouldn't because teams will get more careful of it. Um, one of the things I look for is, you know, there's, if for example, in Toronto, which is the rink I used to go to the most, you always knew the names, right? Like if Steve Eiserman showed up there, you're like, oh, okay, you know, what's what's he looking at? I remember there was a game early in my career at Hockey Night where Scott Hausen was the GM in Columbus, and he showed up in Ottawa one night, and a couple days later they traded for Antoine Vermette. Like that happens too. But the one thing I always looked for is when, quote-unquote, uh, like a Western guy shows up in an Eastern market 
or something like that. When someone who isn't normally there shows up, because that says to me in a lot of cases, they're mm-hmm. getting a second, an organization new, is getting a new, second opinion. What, what do they always you, say? We want new eyes on the guy. Yeah. We want eyes eyes. on a guy. So it's not only sometimes it's if the GM's there, that's obvious. But sometimes to me is, is a team sending someone who isn't normally there, there? Because that's when you wonder, okay, what's going on here? Okay, here's a here's a fun one. This is about you, Elliot. Oh, no. Spencer from the home of Brock Faber. So that would be Maple Grove, Minnesota. Why on earth is Elliot a Minnesota Vikings fan? Minnesotans were born into this suffering. What's your (laughs) excuse? Thanks for everything you three do. Elliot, why are you a Vikings fan? Do you go as far back as Fran Tarkenton? Yes, I do. As a matter of really? fact, so I was, yeah, I was born in 1970, but what it was is I remember one of the, like, I've always loved the color purple. It's mm-hmm. not why I went to Western, but it helps. Uh, but I, I remember as a kid, it, the stupid things that make you a fan, like, like, you know, I love, for one thing, I love the CFL. I love the Argos. I used to go to Argos games, but for NFL, um, I remember, you know, you're a young kid and all of a sudden it's, it's as crazy as this. Uh, here come the purple people eaters. And you're like, oh, that's that's really cool. <laughs> so the purple people eaters were the famous defensive line with um, with the Minnesota Vikings, with the likes of Jim Marshall and uh, Carl Eller and Alan Page. And, you know, I, I was always really fascinated with Alan Page. He's one of the only defensive players ever to win the NFL MVP award. He won it in the 70s. Another one of my favorites, Lawrence Taylor, uh, won it in the 80s. But Alan Page... I remember I remember when I was younger seeing a really fascinating story about him. I'm not a Notre Dame guy, but he went to Notre Dame. But also, like, Alan Page is uh, a judge or was a judge. He's uh, he's retired. And but I remember seeing a feature on him when I was younger. So I'm fascinated by the Purple People Eaters. And Alan Page was the MVP of the uh, NFL one year in the 70s. And... Um, uh, but I, I also remember, and that was that was when I was really young. I think it was the early seventies. Remember hearing about it. Remember seeing a feature on him about how he was going to be a judge or wanted to be a judge after his career. So, between the purple people eaters and the color and Alan Page, that's why I became a big Vikings fan. I can relate to that. I became a huge, and I still am to this day, Pittsburgh Pirates fan because of we are family <laughs> and I, I, Willie Stargell and Dave you know Parker. <laughs> Because I live in Toronto, I'm a Jays fan, yeah. but I do remember that. Sister was, Sledge. Yes. And, yes. And 100%. And also, if you go back, I think it was the 1978 All-Star game, Dave Parker the throw. throws up. Oh. I think it's I think it's Brian Downing at the plate, right? Such and a great throw. You, you can see the... <laughs> You can see there's there's a view from behind Parker that is so incredible. Yeah. And it always gave me like I always have had a thing for outfielders with great arms. Like Dave Winfield, Dwight Evans, Vladimir Guerrero, Sean Green. Like those were the best. I absolutely loved those. And uh, I, I'm with you. I love Dave Parker. Mm-hmm. And I was glad to say when I met Dave Parker years later when he yeah. was a coach for the St. Louis Cardinals, he was phenomenal to deal with. It's great. 
great. The Cobra baby. Still one of my favorite. I'm with you. Like yeah. um I grab remember when the Jays started. Uh, you know, and going to games at Exhibition Stadium and I used to work for Versa Foods and sold hot dogs and jumbo cokes at Exhibition Stadium. Uh, but man, I got a special place in my heart for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So I get that Elliot. Um, let's finish on this one before we get to mystery player number seven from the Maple Leafs 0304. So here's one. Uh, this is from Alec. Uh, hi, gentlemen, and Elliot. Ooh, I like that. All the recent contract extensions in Chicago, <laughs> Mrazic, Dickinson, and Foligno, I know, it's good. Uh, got me thinking. If Kyle Davidson were to find a destination for any of these recently extended players, could he trade the player only with their expiring contract? The expectation being that players would come back to Chicago the following season when the new contract kicks in. Dickinson would be a great example. Cap hit of $2.65 million this season. He could be a great depth addition for a contender. He gets traded to X contender and comes back to Chicago next season once his cap hit is $4.25. Can this be done? It would have to be a trade, but yes. Like, you can't... Like, if you're asking me, could Dickinson be traded and then technically be a free agent for like 30 seconds where he could resign with Chicago. No, he's, he's locked in. So. No, I think, I, mean, I, I think what Alec is saying is, 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 is a part of the deal that once his season is over, he defaults back to the Chicago Blackhawks. He wouldn't be, he wouldn't default back. You'd have to trade him back. Yes, exactly. That's why I like having these questions out there because. Yeah. I thought he was wondering like, technically could you sign him as a free agent like and just but just assume the contract. No, you you can't do that. You could trade him back. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's finish up then with the the final member of the seven player one thousand game club with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes. Okay. So we have so far Sundin, Newendike, Roberts, Francis, Leach, Fitzgerald, and the one that I think will stumble most people on is out there. Who is it? Elliot Friedman. Like I said, I could have played till I was 100 and I wasn't getting it. It was Callie Johansson. It's a beautiful name. I did a bench interview with him that year after he was acquired, but I never would have remembered it. Never. Uh, I can understand people saying Owen Nolan, for example. But- I, that was one of my guesses. I guessed Owen Nolan. I guessed McGillney. Um, yep. But none of those guys were. The, I, I completely forgot Callie Johansson played for that team. Like, absolutely forgot. I love the fact that in this universe, there is a show where we can end a segment talking about Callie Johansson. Life is good. And that's the Montana's Thoughtline Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. We're back in a moment. Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's Daily Deals. Their chicken wings are double-dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and they're half price on Mondays. Uh, half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. 
Okay, welcome back. That was a lot of words, this podcast. That was a lot of words in different, that was words in different octaves, different volumes, different uh, expressions of conciliation and anger, and at times disgust, at times open can we, can contempt I, can I, for one another. Can I yes, say Elliot. one thing before? We, we started recording <laughs> yeah, yeah, at what, yeah. 4.30? And you said, I have to leave at 6.15. And what did I say? Yeah. There's no chance oh, yeah, we'll be talk done. for we'll, that long. We'll be done quick. <laughs> it's six o'clock. We barely made it. <laughs> barely made it under the wire. But we had to yell and scream about John Tavares and a stick violation. What a stick dumb break. argument. <laughs> like, you know, there's going to be there's going to be people listening to this and they're going to say yeah. only two guys could have an argument that dumb. Uh, yeah, well, I've always made the distinction. There's there's two kinds of dumb. There's like regular dumb, and then there's hockey dumb. And <laughs> that, that ladies and gentlemen, dumb. was hockey dumb, courtesy of yours truly and Elliot Friedman. Throw in Dom Shramati, and we've got the hat trick. Uh, and on that hockey dumb, we'll let you go. Uh, more hockey dumb Friday morning when the next podcast drops. Enjoy the week of hockey. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences, People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.